Book Eight, Chapter Five of Amelia, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Amelia, Volume Two by Henry Fielding. Book Eight, Chapter Five. Comments upon Authors having left amelia in as comfortable a situation as could possibly be expected her immediate distresses relieved and her heart filled with great hopes from the friendship of the colonel we now returned to booth who when the attorney and sergeant had left him received a visit from that great author of whom honourable mention is made in our second chapter booth as the reader may be pleased to remember was a pretty good master of the classics for his father though he designed his son for the army did not think it necessary to breed him up a blockhead he did not perhaps imagine that a competent share of latin and greek would make his son either a pedant or a coward he considered likewise probably that the life of a soldier is in general a life of idleness and might think that the spare hours of an officer in country quarters would be as well employed with a book as in sauntering about the streets loitering in a coffee-house sotting in a tavern or in laying schemes to debauch and ruin a set of harmless ignorant country girls as booth was therefore what might well be called at this age at least a man of learning he began to discourse our author on subjects of literature i think sir says he that dr swift hath been generally allowed by the critics in this kingdom to be the greatest master of humour that ever wrote indeed i allow him to have possessed most admirable talents of this kind and if rabelais was his master i think he proves the truth of the common greek proverb that the scholar is often superior to the master as to cervantes i do not think we can make any just comparison for though mr pope compliments him with sometimes taking cervantes serious air I remember the passage cries the author o thou whatever title please thine ear dean drapier bickerstaff or gulliver whether you take the cervantes serious air or laugh and shake in rabelais easy chair you are right sir said booth but though i should agree that the doctor hath sometimes condescended to imitate rabelais i do not remember to have seen in his works the least attempt in the manner of cervantes but there is one in his own way and whom i am convinced he studied above all others you guess i believe i am going to name lucian this author i say i am convinced he followed but i think he followed him at a distance as to say the truth every other writer of this kind hath done in my opinion for none i think hath yet equalled him i agree indeed entirely with mr moyle in his discourse on the age of the philopatris when he gives him the epithet of the incomparable lucian and incomparable i believe he will remain as long as the language in which he wrote shall endure what an inimitable piece of humour is his cock i remember it very well cries the author his story of a cock and a bull is excellent booth stared at this and asked the author what he meant by the bull nay answered he i don't know very well upon my soul it is a long time since i read him 
I learned him all over at school. I have not read him much since. And pray, sir, said he, how do you like his Pharsalia? Don't you think Mr. Rowe's translation a very fine one? Booth replied, I believe we are talking of different authors. The Pharsalia, which Mr. Rowe translated, was written by Lucan. But I have been speaking of Lucian, a Greek writer, and in my opinion, the greatest in the humorous way that ever the world produced. Ay, cries the author, he was indeed so, a very excellent writer indeed. I fancy a translation of him would sell very well. I do not know indeed, cries Booth. A good translation of him would be a valuable book. I have seen a wretched one published by Mr. Dryden, but translated by others, who in many places have misunderstood Lucian's meaning, and have nowhere preserved the spirit of the original. That is a great pity, says the author. Pray, sir, is he well translated in the French? Booth answered he could not tell, but that he doubted it very much, having never seen a good version into that language out of the Greek. To confess the truth, I believe, said he, the French translators have generally consulted the Latin only, which, in some of the few Greek writers I have read, is intolerably bad. And as the English translators, for the most part, pursue the French, we may easily guess what spirit those copies of bad copies must preserve of the original. Egad, you are a shrewd guesser, cries the author. I am glad the booksellers have not your sagacity. But how should it be otherwise, considering the price they pay by the sheet? The Greek, you will allow, is a hard language, and there are few gentlemen that write who can read it without a good lexicon. Now, sir, if we were to afford time to find out the true meaning of words, a gentleman would not get bread and cheese by his work, if one was to be paid, indeed, as Mr. Pope was for his Homer. Pray, sir, don't you think that the best translation in the world— indeed sir cries booth i think though it is certainly a noble paraphrase and of itself a fine poem yet in some places it is no translation at all in the very beginning for instance he hath not rendered the true force of the author homer invokes his muse in the five first lines of the iliad and at the end of the fifth he gives his reason for all these things says he were brought about by the decree of Jupiter, and therefore he supposes their true sources are known only to the deities. Now the translation takes no more notice of the Greek than if no such word had been there. Very possibly, answered the author. It is a long time since I read the original. Perhaps, then, he followed the French translations. I observe, indeed, he talks much of the notes of Madame Dacier and Monsieur Eustathius booth had now received conviction enough of his friend's knowledge of the greek language without attempting therefore to set him right he made a sudden transition to the latin pray sir said he as you have mentioned rose translation of the pharsalia do you remember how he hath rendered that passage in the character of cato venerisque huic maximus usus progenies ubi pater est urbique maritus for I apprehend that passage is generally misunderstood. I really do not remember, answered the author. Pray, sir, what do you take to be the meaning? I apprehend, sir, replied Booth, that by these words, Urbi pater est, urbique maritus, Cato is represented as a father and husband 
to the city of rome very true sir cries the author very fine indeed not only the father of his country but the husband too very noble truly pardon me sir cries booth i do not conceive that to have been lucan's meaning if you please to observe the context lucan having commended the temperance of cato in the instances of diet and clothes proceeds to venereal pleasures of which says the poet his principal use was procreation then he adds urbi pater est urbique maritus that he became a father and a husband for the sake only of the city upon my word that's true cries the author i did not think of it it is much finer than the other urbis pater est what is the other hi urbis maritus it is certainly as you say sir booth was by this pretty well satisfied of the author's profound learning however he was willing to try him a little farther he asked him therefore what was his opinion of lucan in general and in what class of writers he ranked him the author stared a little at this question and after some hesitation answered certainly sir i think he is a fine writer and a very great poet i am very much of the same opinion cries booth but where do you class him next to what poet do you place him let me see cries the author where do i class him next to whom do i place him ay why why pray where do you yourself place him why surely cries booth if he is not to be placed in the first rank with homer and virgil and milton i think clearly he is at the head of the second before either statius or silesius italicus though i allow to each of these their merits but perhaps an epic poem was beyond the genius of either i own i have often thought if statius had ventured no farther than ovid or claudian he would have succeeded better for his sylvi are in my opinion much better thebes i believe i was of the same opinion formerly said the author and for what reason have you altered it cries booth i have not altered it answered the author but to tell you the truth i have not any opinion at all about these matters at present i do not trouble my head much with poetry for there is no encouragement to such studies in this age it is true indeed i have now and then wrote a poem or two for the magazines but i never intend to write any more for a gentleman is not paid for his time a sheet is a sheet with the booksellers and whether it be in prose or verse they make no difference though certainly there is as much difference to a gentleman in the work as there is to a tailor between making a plain and a lace suit rhymes are difficult things they are stubborn things sir i have been sometimes longer in tagging a couplet than i have been in writing a speech on the side of the opposition which has been read with great applause all over the kingdom i am glad you are pleased to confirm that cries booth for i protest it was an entire secret to me till this day i was so perfectly ignorant that i thought the speeches published in the magazines were really made by the members themselves some of them and i believe i may without vanity say the best cries the author are all the productions of my own pen but i believe i shall leave it off soon unless a sheet of speech will fetch more than it does at present in truth the romance writing is the only branch of our business now that is worth following 
goods of that sort have had so much success lately in the market that a bookseller scarce cares what he bids for them and it is certainly the easiest work in the world you may write it almost as fast as you can set pen to paper and if you interlard it with a little scandal a little abuse on some living creatures of note you cannot fail of success upon my word sir cries booth you have greatly instructed me i could not have imagined there had been so much regularity in the trade of writing as you are pleased to mention by what i can perceive the pen and ink is likely to become the staple commodity of the kingdom alas sir answered the author the market is overstocked there is no encouragement to merit no patrons i have been these five years soliciting a subscription for my new translation of ovid's metamorphoses with notes explanatory historical and critical and i have scarce collected five hundred names yet the mention of this translation a little surprised booth not only as the author had just declared his intention to forsake the tuneful muses but for some other reasons which he had collected from his conversation with the author he little expected to hear of a proposal to translate any of the latin poets he proceeded therefore to catechise him a little farther and by his answers was fully satisfied that he had the very same acquaintance with ovid that he had appeared to have with lucan the author then pulled out a bundle of papers containing proposals for his subscription and receipts and addressing himself to booth said though the place in which we meet sir is an improper place to solicit favours of this kind yet perhaps it may be in your power to serve me if you will charge your pockets with some of these booth was just offering an excuse when the bailiff introduced colonel james and the sergeant the unexpected visit of a beloved friend to a man in affliction especially in mr booth's situation is a comfort which can scarcely be equalled not barely from the hopes of relief or redress by his assistance but as it is an evidence of sincere friendship which scarce admits of any doubt or suspicion such an instance doth indeed make a man amends for all ordinary troubles and distresses and we ought to think ourselves gainers by having had such an opportunity of discovering that we are possessed of one of the most valuable of all human possessions booth was so transported at the sight of the colonel that he dropped the proposals which the author had put into his hands and burst forth into the highest professions of gratitude to his friend who behaved very properly on his side and said everything which became the mouth of a friend on the occasion it is true indeed he seemed not moved equally either with booth or the sergeant both whose eyes watered at the scene in truth the colonel though a very generous man had not the least grain of tenderness in his disposition his mind was formed of those firm materials of which nature formerly hammered out the stoic and upon which the sorrows of no man living could make an impression a man of this temper who doth not much value danger will fight for the person he calls his friend and the man that hath put little value for his money will give it him but such friendship is never to be absolutely depended on for whenever the favourite passion interposes with it it is sure to subside and vanish into air whereas the man whose tender disposition really feels the miseries of another will endeavour to relieve them for his own sake and in such a mind friendship will often get the superiority over every other passion 
but from whatever motive it sprung the colonel's behaviour to booth seemed truly amiable and so it appeared to the author who took the first occasion to applaud it in a very florid oration which the reader when he recollects that he was a speech-maker by profession will not be surprised at nor perhaps will be much more surprised that he soon after took an occasion of clapping a proposal into the colonel's hands holding at the same time a receipt very visible in his own the colonel received both and gave the author a guinea in exchange which was double the sum mentioned in the receipt for which the author made a low bow and very politely took his leave saying i suppose gentlemen you may have some private business together i heartily wish a speedy end to your confinement and i congratulate you on the possessing so great so noble and so generous a friend End of chapter five